0: going to be in Luke chapter 1 verses 67 through 80. Again if you have the uh, Pew Bibles that is on page 856 and 857. Title of the message this morning is Sweet Songs of Deliverance. I think if we want to understand any group of people uh, throughout history one of the best ways that we can understand people a group of people maybe a nation or an ethnic group of people is to listen to the songs that they sing Uh, maybe it's their national anthem maybe it's some different songs that that they sing Uh, for some of you who who know me and think that i'm a little bit weird uh, and think maybe that my generation is a little bit weird you need to go back and listen to songs from the 80s uh, and that will explain a lot of that i think music is a a reflection a lot of times of our self-identity uh music that we listen to points to some of the deeper longings that we have uh sometimes it's individual expressions but sometimes uh, groups are singing kind kind of as a reflection of an entire generation or or as cultural longings i also love country music uh i know not everyone agrees with that um But this past week, I I put on my country playlist, and I was listening to it. Like, almost every song, I'm like, man, there's a sermon illustration here. There's some type of application. Like, every song is just like, there's life stuff going on that's so deep. And some of you are like, I don't understand that at all. But that's okay. Uh, There's another genre of of music that I don't listen to, but I'm very intrigued by. And that is the African-American spiritualist music. Uh, It's songs about the Christian faith and songs about the hardships of slavery, songs that were were written and relied very heavily on a lot of the deliverance language from the Old Testament, especially language of, of deliverance out of slavery in Egypt. And for some of us, we might be familiar with some of those songs, we might hear some of those songs, but it's hard maybe to relate to because we don't have shared experience. But I think the thing with all of these songs, with songs maybe, again, that we don't like, you might not like country music, but trust me, there's a, there's a deeper message there. I think what these songs point to is that there's a deeper spiritual reality. There's a deeper longing that we have that a lot of these songs, they do point to the suffering that all of us face as humans as we live this life under the sun, right? There's, there's something that we can relate to. Not, now, not all music is, is sad and about suffering, but... A lot of it is right. A lot of these songs talk about the pain and the hardships of life, and I think when you hear a song that you relate to, there's something that kind of tugs at your heartstrings, and you're like, "Yeah, that really speaks to kind of where I am in my life." In my life, and maybe it speaks to your your longing and your desire for deliverance from those things. And for us as God's people, I think we tend sometimes we tend too easily to forget about the freedom and the deliverance that we already have in Christ. We forget about that already reality, and we also fail to look forward expectantly to Jesus' second coming. Now, it's Advent, and we've been talking about this for the last three weeks, right? We look back at Jesus' first coming, and we look forward to his second coming, and as we're kind of in this time of in-between, the theme of deliverance is a huge part of that, right? As we look back and reflect on our already deliverance and look forward to our not yet deliverance and that's why it's so important that we sing songs of deliverance and that we celebrate together who God is and what he has done for us. I love the song we sang earlier, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. In the first verse it says, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. We talked a lot about that Last week, talking about finding our rest in the Lord. Verse 4 Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. And this idea of deliverance, it it can't come apart from the idea of a king and a kingdom. And we're going to be looking at that a little bit more. When we sing these songs of deliverance, we are in good company. When you read through the Old Testament, you see these songs, Exodus chapter 15, Moses and Miriam singing the song of deliverance, praising God for delivering his people out of Egypt. Then in the book of Judges, Deborah and Barak, Judges chapter 5, praising God for delivering them from the Canaanites. First Samuel, Hannah's prayer. We looked at this uh, recently, a couple weeks ago, with, with Mary's song. Hannah prays, and, and she praises God not only for, for Samuel's birth, but for deliverance from their enemies. 2 Samuel that we just read, David's song of deliverance, 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18. These songs of deliverance fill the Old Testament, and it's, it's both praising God for what he has done, and it's also looking forward to the coming salvation. We've seen language from a lot of these songs in the Old Testament reflected here in Luke chapter 1. Mary's song song is the Magnificat. And then Zechariah's song that we're going to be looking at here today is called the Benedictus. The language from a lot of these Old Testament songs are reflected here in these songs. Again, it's a reflection on the past, on God's faithfulness, looking back at what he has done. And it's an anticipation of the future, a looking forward to God's work of salvation and how he will continue to work and how he will deliver his people. So we'll see that here in Zechariah's prophecy. Um, if, you have a, if you have a Bible with the, the cross references listed. Or you can probably look it on your, on your phone app. Every single line in this song is a direct reference to some Old Testament verse. Many of them are in the Psalms. If you're looking for a, a fun Bible study to do. Uh, we kind of dug into this a little bit in our community group this week. I would encourage you to spend some time uh, looking into this song and looking into these references to to Old Testament promises. Just a little bit about the context. If you're just joining us and haven't been with us, uh, we've been in Luke chapter 1. We've seen the foretellings of the births of Jesus and John the Baptist by the angel Gabriel. We've seen the contrast between Zechariah, the priest who's in the temple. He's he's high up uh, on the... On the social ladder in Israel, the contrast between Zechariah and then Mary, who's this humble teenage girl who is way down low on the social ladder, right? But we see this this promise of these children that will come, these children that will be great. And we're going to start to see here, we're going to see it today, that Jesus is going to be greater than John. As important as John is going to be, we're going to see who the greater one is here. Another kind of thing about the context that we talked about last week is that this song is the content, I believe, of Zechariah's prophecy of his blessing of the Lord in verse 64. If you look just above where we're going to start here, immediately his mouth was opened. This is after he writes down on the tablet that his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God. I believe when he, he spoke and blessed God, this, was the, this is what he said. It was the contents here. So the contents we have here are kind of in this in-between space between verse 64 and 65. Now the reason that's important is because what we see in verse 65 and 66, it says, Fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. That was their response to what Zechariah says here in verses 68 through 79. Okay, just so we're... We're clear on on how that kind of lines up. All right. Well, let's dig in then. Zechariah's prophecy. Luke chapter 1, 67 through 80. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Another thing here to remember is that Zechariah's prophecy here is setting the stage for the expectations of God's people. Again, it's not just looking back to what God has done, but Zechariah here is prophetically declaring what God will do. And we see that in verse 67. It says that, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. As we go through this, we're not going to actually walk straight through this. I'm actually going to begin at verse 76. We're going to look at Zechariah's first statement about his own son, John the Baptist, and then we're going to look at what he says about Jesus. So if you're following along, if you have the outline there, taking notes, the first thing we're going to look at is the people preparing prophet. So, this is what John, or what Zechariah says about John, his son. Verse 76, he says, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. This is John's prophetic. and this goes back to Gabriel's visit in the temple what he said John would be and and what role he would fulfill this is a fulfillment of Malachi chapter 3 that he would prepare the way of the Lord and then Isaiah chapter 40 both of these things were foretold that God would send his messenger to prepare his way now if you flip over just one page to Luke chapter 3 verses 4 through 6 this is we're going to be seeing this in a few weeks, but this is John preparing the way. Luke chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, it says, As it is written in the book of the words Isaiah the prophet, this is from Isaiah chapter 40, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall be shall see the salvation of God. After that, John here tells the people to repent, and he gives them warnings of God's judgment. And then in verse 18 it says, So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people, which is what Zechariah says he will do. In verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Well, what did that look like for John? For John, it was this warning and this exhortation and this calling of people to repent. So we can't talk about forgiveness here. We can't talk about the good news of the gospel if we don't actually talk about sin and talk about the bad news. And in order to do that, we need to be able to ground ourselves in our identity as the people of God it says here that he came to give the knowledge of salvation to God's people this is what John was sent to do to give knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of their sins we need to look at this in terms of what does this mean here for saying to his people what did this look like for first century Jews in Zechariah's day did they not have the knowledge of salvation already Well, yes and no. Yes, they had faith in the future Messiah who was to come. They had faith in God's promises. When God said, I will send my messenger, he will prepare my way, there was a looking forward that God was preparing them for, and God was stirring up their hearts to be ready for the Messiah. There are not two plans of salvation in the scriptures. There's not a way of salvation for Old Testament believers, and then a way of... By by being saved by their works, and then a way of salvation in the New Testament, being saved by grace. The consistent message is that it's always been by faith. We read early on in Genesis that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You can go read Paul's arguments in Romans chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 3. He's saying the whole time it wasn't about works, we're not saved by works. As Paul's writing to these churches. And Abraham wasn't saved by works. So there's not these two different plans of salvation that God has. It was always by grace through faith in the Messiah. So yes, they did have a knowledge of salvation. But no, they didn't in a sense that it wasn't complete. Because we look at here what knowledge of of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. For them, they didn't have the full knowledge of the forgiveness of their sins and what that meant. What did they have to do? Every year, right? Year after year, the high priest had to go into the most holy place and to kill the animal and spread the blood over the Ark of the Covenant so that God, for that n- entire next year, would pass over the sins of his people, right? That symbolism of the of the Passover, the putting the blood on the doorposts. So there was this continual need year after year to go and to make those sacrifices versus the once-for-all sacrifice that Jesus made for his people. So they didn't yet see the full picture. They actually couldn't see the full picture yet, the full picture of forgiveness of sins in its fullness until Jesus died on the cross and rose again. So John's prophetic ministry here was a pointing forward. It was a preparation for God's people, a preparation for preparing the way of the Lord by beginning, John is here, beginning to declare the good news and preparing people's hearts for when Jesus comes on the scene and begins his ministry. Now again, sometimes it's difficult for us to read passages like this and ask, well, how does this apply to us, right? Because Jesus has already come. The knowledge of salvation, the knowledge of forgiveness of sins is here, we have it. So how does this apply to us what does this preparation and anticipation look like for us again we don't anticipate the first coming in the same way that they were anticipating it right Zechariah is giving this prophecy before Jesus is born He's, his birth is, is still about six months out so there's this waiting there's this preparation but that's already happened right and we look back on that and we celebrate it and we remember In a little while, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. That's what we're going to to do, right? We're going to celebrate. We're going to remember Christ's birth. We're going to remember his death. In the Christian life, the life of faith as the people of God, even throughout the Old Testament, it was a looking back and a looking forward, singing these songs of deliverance, praising God for his mercy and his grace and salvation. For him coming to the aid of his people and rescuing and redeeming and helping us. Then looking forward to his return as we wait and we anticipate. If you've been around here the last few weeks since we started Advent, I probably sound like a broken record talking about looking back and looking forward. But that's the whole point. And that's Luke's whole point here in this first chapter that we spent six weeks on, right? Right? Luke is digging into these details. He's giving us this detailed account so we will remember these things and we will do these same things, that we will sing Mary's song, that we will sing Zechariah's song, that we will look back and that we will look forward. So we've talked a little bit about John the Baptist. Um, There's a lot more that could be said. There's more that we we will say. We'll get to him more in chapter 3 and in chapter 7. But John was the prophet. He was the people preparing prophet that the Lord sent. Let's turn now to the one for whom he was sent to prepare the way. Next we'll look at the people helping horn of salvation. Let's back up to the beginning of of Zechariah's song. He begins in verse 68 by blessing God. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited Israel. And redeemed his people. This is why he praises or blesses God. God has visited and redeemed his people. In this word here for visited, it doesn't mean to just like stop by, right? Like, oh, I was on my way somewhere and I like stopped by and visited my family to like just to say hi. It means to be present to help. Now, hopefully, when you go and and stop by and visit your family, you're, you're present to help. But this is more than just like hey i'm i'm here right nice to see you this is coming to the to the rescue coming to the aid of helping his people so god shows up and he's there and he's present to help he's present to redeem his people this word here redeemed i mean it's a word we should be familiar with it means to liberate to set free to deliver it's related to the idea of ransoming and buying back. But this word gets thrown a lot, thrown around a lot in our secular culture, especially in the sports world. You hear it all the time, like talking about maybe an athlete like so-and-so redeemed himself, right? Maybe he like had a bad game or like went to some organization and things didn't work out, and then he went somewhere else and like his career was resurrected, right? We have all this, this language. Of, of redeeming things and usually it's in, the, in terms of proving the doubters wrong and as much as I I love Brett Favre I think he's probably still my favorite football player of all time when he went to the Minnesota Vikings he didn't redeem himself okay that's like this storyline right that he like proved that he wasn't done that he proved that he wasn't washed up but he didn't liberate himself He didn't set himself free so when we hear that word redeemed that's not what it means because you don't redeem yourself when you're redeemed you're acted upon right you don't set yourself free this is something that someone else does we are liberated and set free and delivered and ransomed by another that's what God has done for us and we see it here in this song verse 71 that we should be saved from our enemies And from the hand of all who hate us, verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. This whole picture is of God coming and God doing a work that we can't do ourselves, redeeming us from our enemies. And again, we see this and and we might ask, well, what is, you know, what is he talking about here? Is this actual like literal enemies, other nations for them? it, It was in a sense. Um, But ultimately, this is talking about being delivered from slavery to sin, being delivered from the world and the flesh and the devil. Our enemies, as much as we might be affected by some of the noise and the rhetoric out there, our enemies are not other nations, okay? Our enemies are the forces of this world, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the spiritual forces. That is what God has delivered us from, How has he done it? Verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This word here, horn, it points back to the Old Testament, to to all of these symbols. We saw in, in David's song of deliverance in 2 Samuel 22. It's a symbol of physical power. It's a symbol of prophetic action. It's a symbol of God working to rescue his people. Again, David's song, the beginning of his song. Just listen to some of these words. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. This is, these are powerful words. This is powerful imagery of God coming to the rescue, God saving us from our enemies, God being our refuge And our deliverer. And like Mary, when we saw in Mary's song, we we said that Mary knew her scriptures very well, right? She quoted all these places from the Old Testament. Well, Zechariah knows his scriptures well too. And he was very familiar with God's covenant promises. So he tells us here of Jesus, the horn of salvation, being raised up in the house of David To fulfill God's promises to David that one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever. And the promise of an everlasting kingdom. We call that the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. Then in verses 72 and 73. We see that God has shown the mercy that was promised to the fathers. And he remembered the covenant and oath to Abraham. What was that covenant and oath to Abraham? It was the promise of offspring through whom all nations would be blessed. Again, go read Galatians chapter 3 where Paul is making his argument that we're saved by faith and not by works. He refers back to Abraham and he's saying that Jesus is the offspring, singular. The promise of the offspring given to Abraham was Jesus. Jesus was the offspring whom God was referring to here when he made the promise to Abraham. So what's the point in all this? Why is Zechariah going to great lengths to to talk about these promises to David and these promises to Abraham? It's to show God's faithfulness to his people. It's to show that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Not just for them, right, in the first century, but for us. God is going to keep his promises that he has made to his people And we read this, and and we read, we kind of skipped over the middle part of 2 Samuel 22, partly just for length, but it's kind of scary language, right? There's a lot of stuff in there about enemies and vengeance, and it can sound a little scary. But it says in verse 74 that we have been delivered, that we being delivered from the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days we can serve God without fear because of what he has done for us in Christ we can approach God through Jesus we can come before him in this where it says here in verse 75 in holiness and righteousness before him that literally means before his face Okay? We can come boldly before the throne of grace, right? We can come boldly before the Lord because of what Jesus has done for us. He saves us to himself that we would worship and adore and praise him for what he has done. So we no longer need those blood sacrifices, those animal sacrifices on the mercy seat. That, that we no longer need that blood shed on the mercy seat because God displayed his mercy through Jesus. And his death on the cross for us. And Zechariah mentions this. In verse 78. He says that John prepared the way. Of the Lord. To give knowledge of salvation. And the forgiveness of sins. Because of. The tender mercy. Of our God. And this is. One of those. Words that has been kind of translated. A bunch of different ways. Um, If you know about. Uh, like the word heart that we usually translate in the in the Hebrew it's actually not like the heart the physical heart it's more like the kidneys and like the bowels right it's like the seat of our emotions that's the same idea here the word tender is actually the word for like inner parts okay it's the, the the seat of the emotions the feeling part of us to have deep feeling or compassion that's what tender means and the word mercy here can also be translated as compassion So we could say here, because of the compassionate compassion of our God. It's one of those, I mean, this concept is just, it's so profound and it's so powerful. He is the one who forgives and saves his people according to his promises. And he does it not for their sake, but for his own. And not according to their own wisdom, but according to his wisdom. Not according to their works, but his mercy and grace. And this just flies in the face of the messages that we hear around us day in and day out about our self-sufficiency. I'll use another sports illustration here because I hear this one all the time. I love, I love the NFL. I love, I love football. I love the Packers. But it doesn't take you very long following the NFL, watching some games, to realize that the NFL is 100% a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of league. If you don't perform on the field if you cause trouble in the locker room peace out right they don't care they're all about winning right what have you done for me lately if if it's if it's not contributing to the the product on the field then they're going to show you the door it's very cutthroat right if God asked each one of us right now what have you done for me lately in terms of What have you done that I should continue to show you mercy? How would we answer that question? I wonder what I would try to come up with. Um, Well, I'm a pastor, right? Like, I'm serving you with my life. So, (laughs) right? It doesn't matter. It's not about what we can bring to the table. It's not about what we can present before the Lord and say, God, look what I've done for you. The answer is nothing. It's by your tender mercy. It's by your compassionate compassion that I am yours and that I belong to you and that you continue day in and day out to keep me and to hold me and to not let me go and this is really magnified in the last few lines of this song second half of verse 78 whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high this word here sunrise is kind of an idiomatic phrase in the greek you see it translated in different ways dayspring we actually saw it uh dayspring from on high appear in the song come now long expected jesus dawning light is another way it's translated we've been singing the song dawning light of our salvation I kind of was trying to see if we could get it sung this week, but I think we have sang it like the last three weeks. So we were like, yeah, you know, we'll pass this week. But great song, dawning light of our salvation, day spring from on high, sunrise. That's what this that's what this word here refers to. And so it's translated in all those different ways. And it says the sunrise shall visit us. It's the same word we saw in verse 68 that God has visited and redeemed his people. And how does the sunrise visit us? It's from on high, right? God comes down to us. He condescends. The Son of God took on flesh and came down. He visited us. And then what does he do? Verse 78, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus, the light of the world, came to shine in the darkness, came to shine in this dark world of sin and death and misery, and to raise us up so that we may no longer sit in darkness and sit in the shadow of death. We talked about this a little bit in our community group as well. Psalm 23, right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the reality of our lives in this world is we walk under the shadow of death, right? Death is, is that shadow that's continually over us our whole lives. Death stalks us. We can't get away from it, right? We walk in the valley of the shadow of death. But what Jesus has done for us is that he's made us walk, right? We don't sit in it. We don't sit and just say, well, can't do anything. No, he's raised us up so that we no longer sit in darkness, that we no longer sit in the shadow of death. But we walk in the way of peace. And this is this idea of peace here is not just some pie-in-the-sky dream about world peace, right? Like, let's just get all the nations together and, and have world peace. Like, that's not a reality. Study world history, right? It's not a reality. It's not a promise of world peace. And it's also not a promise that there will never be suffering in our lives. What is the promise here? It's the promise of two things. It's the promise of the collision of kingdoms and the transfer of kingdoms the king of heaven the promised one has come the sunrise has visited us on high he has come to take on flesh to ransom us to deliver us from the domain of darkness to defeat the prince of this world and to bring us into his kingdom two kingdoms colliding the kingdom of light coming to destroy the kingdom of darkness but it's not just this, this cosmic battle that happens. We are the beneficiaries of this work. And we get transferred from one kingdom to another. We saw that if you have your worship guide. We saw that in our assurance of pardon in Colossians 1. It says that he, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. This verse is like just a perfect, perfect description of Zechariah's song. I about fell out of my chair when I was reading this this week. I wasn't even, I just was reading in Colossians, wasn't even thinking about this. And I was like, what? Like, that's exactly a summary of of what this passage is about. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We're not in darkness anymore. We are in the kingdom of light. We have redemption. We have the forgiveness of our sins. That's what we get to celebrate when we gather here around this table. Celebrating our deliverance. Celebrating the fact that we were once dead in our sin. We were once slaves to this world. We were once slaves to the prince of darkness. But the sunrise has come, right? the day spring from on high has appeared and he has set us free. He has delivered us and transferred us. And if that's that's you, if that's happened in your life, then this table is for you. This is for all of those who have said, yes, Jesus is my only hope. I trust in him. And you answer the question, what have you done for me lately with nothing, right? I can't do anything to earn this. I can't do anything to be good enough. You know, you don't have to come to me and and show me how much you got your life together before you come to the table. This is for sinners who say, I need Jesus, and he is my only hope. The only hope of forgiveness is in him, in his body broken, in his blood poured out for me. If that's you, you're welcome to come to the table. And if you're not there yet, if you you say, you know, "I'm, I'm not really sure that I that I really trust Jesus. Um, I'm still, still working these things out, still trying to figure it out. We ask that you would remain in your seat, that you would, you would not take the elements. Uh, we would love to talk with you more about what it means to be a Christian. But for all those who, who are ready, uh, you can come forward. I, if I can have the servers come forward at this time. Uh, we'll come and we'll take the elements. We'll return to our seats uh, and we'll all partake together. For those kids who are not uh, taking communion, we will pray for them.